1: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dr. Low Radio. I am Dr. Lauren Noel. I'm your host. Thanks so much for joining me once again. I'm just grateful to be here, grateful to have you with me. And if you've been with me from the beginning, thank you so much. We are here over 6 years of this show. It's a little surreal to say that. I almost feel like I'm just getting started because there's so many things I have in store for the future for the show, so much more growth I want to have and Let's be honest. People need to hear about this information about what is possible for their health, what's possible for you know options when you go to your doctor and they give you a certain diagnosis and you just think you have one option. And that's why I'm so passionate about this show is because people need to know this information and just knowing what are your options. There's many different options. If you want to treat something with just nutrition, if you want to use herbal medicine, if you want the best of both worlds, if you want to do just conventional medicine, great. Maybe what are some things you can do to help with the the side effects of whatever medication you choose. So naturopathic medicine is powerful. And as as you know, if you've been listening to the show, I don't have just naturopathic doctors because I like having this show covering mindset, nutrition, you know, even just ways to be your fabulous self. I mean, you know, we get sassy on this show. It's not always about medicine and health, but I think you just being the best version of you is what this is about. And so... That's that's what I'm doing this for. So thanks for being with me, you guys. I so appreciate it. If you are loving the show, please, I'm l- begging you with as I'm batting my eyes to leave a review over on iTunes. I would so appreciate it, and it just means a lot because people get to hear what your story is, why do you like the show, what can they get out of the show. So it means a lot and helps a lot more people to to get um, to for the show to have more visibility. So it really does help a lot. Uh, some love to my amazing show sponsor, Organifi. I am still in Thailand as I'm recording this. And as I've said on my show, uh, this stuff is keeping me healthy. I'm eating all kinds of crap, you guys. Like, really. I'm just... When I travel, I just immerse myself in the culture. And I'm eating all kinds of street food. And, you know, I'm traveling all over, flying back and forth. I went to... Um, I'm actually going to Vietnam in a couple of days. And I'm going to be back in Thailand. So it's a lot of flying. And so, as I mentioned on my show last week... There are a lot of pesticides and planes and toxins and things we're just exposed to. So, giving yourself that insurance policy, especially when you're on the road traveling or just living day to day life, because we're just exposed to so much in our environment now, give yourself that extra protection, those extra antioxidants, and have a green drink every single day. It's my first sponsor I've ever done because I've been so incredibly picky and I decided to work with Organifi because they're. Quality is unmatched. I haven't seen another green strength that is super crazy about quality. So that's really important. And I see results with it. I feel a lot better when I use it. And I've had great results from patients too. So I highly recommend Organifi. You can get yours over at Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And you get a discount when you enter Dr. Low at checkout. That's D-R-L-O. You get 20% off your order. And I think you're going to love it. So... That's my love to my show sponsor and let's jump into the show for tonight. So I've actually wanted this guest on the show for a while, but I finally got her pinned down to come on the air and I hope you enjoy. All right. We are back with the show. So excited for my guest tonight. I have Dr. Kayla Daniel. And I have been trying to get this, this chick on my show for years, I think. And we've moved it a few times. And it just hasn't meant to be until now. So I'm really excited to introduce her and, and share you guys or share her with you guys. Dr. Kayla Daniel is known as the naughty nutritionist. And she because she tells the truth, that's too hot to handle. I love it. I love the dose of reality. Give it to us straight. Kayla is co-author of the best-selling book, Nourishing Broth, an old-fashioned remedy for the modern world, and also author of The Whole Soy Story, The Dark Side of America's Favorite Health Food. She's received the Integrity in Science Award from the Weston A. Price Foundation in 2005, the Health Freedom Fighter Award from Freedom Law School in 2009, and the Badass Award from the paleo Primal Price Foundation, now the Hunt-Gather Growth Foundation, in 2015. She's been a guest on the Dr. Oz Show, PBS Healing Quest, NPR's People's uh, Pharm- Pharmacy, ABC's View from the Bay, and Discovery Channel's Medical Hot Seat. And she's appeared with Dr. Mark Hyman, Jason <coughs> Virgin, Gary Talbs, a lot of people who have been on our show, Charles Poliquin, Dr. Joseph Mercola, Joel Salatin, David Wolf, and other prominent health experts. And she has spoken at numerous conferences, a lot of the ones that I've also spoken at. So that's why I've gotten to, to meet her and see her, and, including the Ancestral Health Symposium, Paleo FX. Wise Traditions, Nutritional Therapy Association, many, many different conferences. So Dr. Daniel, so great to have you. Welcome to the Dr. Lowe Show. Thank you so much. So good to have you. So hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving and you're enjoying your holiday time. And I would love to know a little bit more about you as a person. Why the heck you care about soy? Why do you care about health? What's your superhero story that brought you to what you're doing now?
2: Well, I'm not sure it's a superhero story, but like many of us in the healing profession, uh, I started out sick and tired, and sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I was determined to get well, and for whatever reason, from the get-go, I distrusted pharmaceutical remedies and didn't like doctors, and I was convinced that somehow nutrition would matter, started really exploring alternative medicine, every diet plan out there. I mean, that was back in the day of of Atkins and and others, but I did vegan diets. I did food combining, Ayurvedic, macrobiotic, uh, you name it, I tried it, and eventually found my way to an ancestral, mostly paleo-style diet, and um, been thriving on that, and became committed to helping other people, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally identify with that and, and went, went the direction of being vegetarian for a few years and helped in some respects, but I was doing a lot of soy that we're going to be talking about more tonight and, um, and just was doing a lot of processed stuff, even though I was doing more of a plant-based diet. So, um, I think that it's something that a lot of people are doing They're They're thinking that going meatless is, is healthier and, it, for that reason, they're consuming all kinds of stuff that could be genetically modified. It could be altering their hormones. So um, important that people really know this stuff because maybe you would be you know, reaching for the garden burgers or the soy sausages if, if some of this information is, is known. So, um, so really cool. Let's, let's jump into this topic about soy. So how, how in the heck did soy ever become a health food anyway? Where did that, that leap happen?
2: Well, it was all about marketing. The soy industry was making vegetable oil out of the soy oil from the soybean, and they had a lot of protein left over. And there's only so much you can feed to animals before the animals get fat, sick, and die too soon. Now, they wanted the animals to get fat because they wanted to bring them to market as fat as possible, as soon as possible. But the dying and interfering with their fertility, that that was an issue. So there was only so much soy protein they could feed to animals and that despite the USDA spending decades and using some top scientists to try to solve some of the problems with soy protein... So they got thinking, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to spend money dumping this stuff in the landfill or can we turn it into profit somehow? Now it does make a good fertilizer, but of course the chemical fertilizers had that market cornered. Mm -hmm. So they got thinking, well, let's turn it into a health food for people. Now, soy did have a certain image problem It was considered something that hippies ate it was considered something for poverty or communist countries like Cuba or Russia. So it had a distinct image problem. And the soy industry was actually brilliant in this. They they realized that if they marketed it as a health food, people would want it and pay well for it besides. And that's what they did. And it's brilliant.
1: Yeah. For sure. Gosh, so many things that are in the food industry are, it's all marketing, isn't it? When you take that cute label and the, the commercial out of the picture, you're left with just crap so many times. I'm not saying soy is crap, but it's really about how much you're having, what kind of soy. So, so let's dive into more about, is soy really a problem? Is it how much we're having? Is it the type of soy? Let's talk a little bit more about soy itself.
2: Well, it's all of those. And a lot of people assume I'm entirely anti-soy, but the fact is I do enjoy starting out many days with miso soup. And miso soup is a healthy, old-fashioned fermented soy product. And a little tempeh in your stir fries here and there, that's good too. And even a little tofu if you're not allergic once in a while. And that's all fine. But where we start to get into trouble is when we eat soy excessively and we eat some of the modern, industrially processed soy products. And that, surprisingly enough, includes things like soy milk. And uh, that is actually one of the worst products, in my opinion, because people tend to drink a lot of it if they drink it. Yeah. They might be having it for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack. They're thinking it's a substitute for dairy. They're thinking it's going to protect their bones. And so they're eating it excessively. Mm -hmm. and nobody eats something like natto or tempeh excessively and natto is actually a true health food but um it's definitely a an acquired taste and not for everybody nasty smell and texture (laughs) 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 but it's good for us right
1: yeah and 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 also we hear the argument that well I mean, Asians eat tons of soy and they have the lowest levels of all these cancers. So therefore it must be this health food, like you said. So what's the reality with that? Do they really eat that much? And and, and what's that link?
2: Yeah, uh, Asia, of course, is a very large continent, and there's many different people, many different uh, dietary customs and lifestyles. So it varies a lot. Uh, The Koreans are eating it differently from the Japanese, from many different um, areas of China, for example. But wherever we go in Asia, it is generally eaten as a condiment in the diet and not as a staple food. So traditionally, they were eating small amounts of old-fashioned soy foods, and in reasonable amounts, all of those were no problem. But in the U.S., where it's being marketed so heavily as health food, certain people in the population, often vegetarians, vegans, health-conscious people, particularly vegans who are trying to to do a low-carb diet, they end up doing a lot of soy, and that becomes excessive consumption. And the health problems that can ensue range from digestive problems to malnutrition, immune system breakdown, attention deficit disorders, even causing cancer and heart disease, which of course we're all told it prevents. So a lot of people do assume Asians eat a lot of soy, and they assume that Asians have lower rates of cancer. Well, they have lower rates of some types of cancer, such as breast cancer and prostate cancer, but they have higher rates of esophageal cancer, thyroid cancer, liver cancer, uh, many, many other kinds of cancer. So if you're going to credit soy with uh, so, uh saving people from some forms of cancer we have to yeah you know um blame it for these others and i think it's a very complicated issue there's a lot of reasons there's genetic there's genetic differences lifestyle differences environmental differences It just many many factors
1: mm-hmm. yeah we got. that's why the whole soy story right we got to look at take a step back look at all the different factors is it all cancer, or like you said, just certain specific ones. So I think that's
2: that's really important. And yeah, soy is not the only demon in the food supply. Right. We have a lot of problems in the food supply, but soy becomes dangerous for health conscious people who become obsessed with it, including it in their diet every day. Right, right.
1: Now, people listening, you may be thinking, "Well, I don't really eat a lot of soy. I don't get tofu. I don't order mm. these things on the menu." But if you're eating out at restaurants, chances are you're getting
2: a decent amount of exposure from the soybean oil, correct? Probably. Either that or canola oil, and that's not very good for us either. Uh, It's kind of the same danger as um, expecting to find gluten in every single entree at a restaurant. Very frustrating. You wouldn't think there's a reason for wheat to be in there, and yet it is. Yeah. One of the things...
1: I, one of the things I checked with, with many of my patients is let's do a blood test and see what your omega-3 and your omega-6 levels look like. And it's amazing to me how many, many of my patients who think that they're eating really, really well in terms of lots of fish, maybe they're taking a fish oil, when we actually test their levels, their omega-6 levels are quite high. And when we look at some of their lifestyle things, you know, where are you going out to eat? What's your, what's your day-to-day look like? A lot of them are going out to eat a lot and maybe getting foods that are fried in certain types of oils or, um, you you know, it tends to be more of when they're out of the house and they're out eating the the exposure of the oils that they're getting.
2: Yes, absolutely. And oddly enough, we're running into some people who are are consuming the omega-3s excessively and they're out of balance in the other direction. And again, that's health conscious people going gung-ho too far. It's true. It's about that balance, isn't it? (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Well, diving into more details with this soy thing, we talk about thyroid a lot on this show. And so, and it's amazing to me how I'll have a patient come into my office who has been treated for their thyroid condition for years and years and years. And I was actually one of those people, um, years ago. And I didn't know that soy was a factor affecting the thyroid. I didn't know. Doctors just don't tell you that. So what's the deal with, with soy and thyroid?
2: Well we have studies going back 70 years linking soy to thyroid problems most often manifesting as hypothyroidism with the familiar symptoms of weight gain fatigue lethargy malaise and yell loss of libido it also affects the autoimmune form hashimotos which we're discovering is is very common <laughs> And with some people, it sends people into hyperthyroidism. So they're having racing hearts and anxiety. Some of them run to the hospital. Some of them go back and forth, having thyroid storms, which can be terrifying. Mm -hmm. so there's no good that's coming from it and some people have the idea that if um, they've got enough iodine that the soy would not be a problem well the iodine is just one other factor and yes a lot of people are definitely deficient in iodine these days Mm -hmm. but soy is is one of the problems for sure
1: yeah. So who, in your opinion, who do you think is at the highest risk from excess soy? Is that Americans or more westernized countries? Well, it would
2: be babies on soy formula, where, mm-hmm. wherever they are. And they're at the highest risk because that's all they're eating. And also they're very tiny. They're at a very vulnerable stage. Their bodies and brains are developing and the exposure to the plant estrogens in the soy formula will affect their, their developing bodies and brains, particularly their reproductive systems. Mm-hmm. So the little boys, it's interfering with testosterone production and utilization. Now, you might not think that a little baby boy would have that issue yet, but in fact, from the time the little boy has been born his little body is being programmed for him to grow up and be a man and if soy estrogens are in there interfering you're going to start to see some problems but not until puberty so there's a lag with the cause and effect so a lot of people have not made the connection you know, with the little girls, they're overly estrogenized and uh, they are very much very likely to go through puberty very early. Now, of course, soy is not the only demon in the environment. Again, we've got problems with the chlorine and the fluoride and the BPA and the plastics and the hormones in other foods. I mean, there's a lot of risk factors,
1: sure. And guys, don't try not to get overwhelmed with this stuff, it's one thing at a time, you know. So, it's about cutting these things at one at a time and starting to make those shifts because let's be honest, you can't do it all at once, right? You can't instantly snap your fingers and you have no exposure to any of these things anymore, but it's slowly but surely starting to kind of detox your environment, detox the diet. And, and the first step is just awareness and knowing it. And I mean, so Kayla, are, are doctors recommending that mothers give their babies soy formula? I mean, I know, I don't know any naturopathic doctors that would, but is this something that's generally recommended?
2: Many are still doing that. They're either not aware or or they're just basically going with the flow. Yeah, right. And yeah. it's really sad because there's more and more babies now who are, you know, they're born allergic even to their the mother's breast milk, believe it or not. They can't tolerate the dairy and they're lacking in a lot of good alternatives.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's a huge problem. And people just do not know. Yeah. Um, but another risk group would definitely be health conscious, middle aged women who've heard soy is going to help them with menopause. And the research on that's actually inconsistent and contradictory, but uh, we do know that it's going to really bollocks your thyroid. So, you know, even if it does benefit you and you're one of the people who has reduced hot flashes, why would you want it to harm your thyroid?
1: Mm. So a couple alternatives then, because we always love talking about solutions for people. So let's say you're a mama who your doctors recommended, hey, I want you to do a soy formula. What would be some alternatives? I've I've seen a a great recipe on the Weston Price Foundation website where you can make an at-home formula. Is that what you would recommend as well? That's
2: what I did with my children, and my children were adopted, So I did the homemade formula recipe, and that was wonderful for my children. And there are several of them. Uh, Some of them are with with preferably with raw cow's milk, or it could be a raw goat's milk. Or now we have uh, access to an amazing product, camel's milk, which is just. Amazing for these children with their, you know, immune system breakdown and uh, with their allergies, etc. I remember the first
1: time I saw camel's milk on the shelf, I
2: had to do a double take. I said, "Really? Is this what we're doing
1: now?" <laughs> but I've, it's it's apparently it's worked great for so many people. It's
2: amazing. It helps so many get over the hump, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love a good uh, nutrition joke. And the only thing I would um, I would wish caution is uh, with the homemade formula from the Weston A. Price uh, Foundation's website, do not use the fermented cod liver oil. You cannot ferment oil. It goes rancid. Mm. So if you're going to use a cod liver oil, a regular cod liver oil.
1: Okay. Good tip. So, okay. So let's say for women who are having tons of hot flashes, they don't want to use, nat- you know, hormone replacement therapy for whatever reason, and they're finding that soy is really helping with them. What would, what would you recommend for that? Just keeping it uh, as low as, as what's helping with hot flashes and doing lab work to make sure that the thyroid isn't being affected, or do you just recommend no soy at all? And they try something else.
2: I would be very leery of the soy because you don't want to put your thyroid at risk. Yeah. So I would definitely get off the soy. Now what to do instead Uh, a lot of the women I work with as clients have very high copper levels and eliminating the copper can really help with hot flashes and also for younger women with PMS or any kind of reproductive problems and also with the mood things, the mood swings, the anxiety, the depression, a lot of people suffering from that have high levels of copper. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that might be something, but that's not, you know, that's not a quick fix. I know people want a quick fix. Yeah. Well, what I've seen for patients is I,
1: I've used a, an essential oils protocol that, that's worked great for, for a lot of my ladies and, 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 working on some of the underlying things like adrenals and blood sugar regulation, I, I've had several patients, they cut out sugar and their hot flashes go away. So it's really about getting to some of those underlying issues that affect your hormones and, and, you know, maybe, maybe using some bioidenticals is what's needed, but, um, But yeah, I I do agree with you. I think that using excessive soy to help with that, like you said, it's helping with the hot flashes, but then boom, you you can have some thyroid problems as a result.
2: Yeah. And I think cleaning up the diet, what you were saying, getting the sugar out, that's huge. And uh, those who look at, say, the gluten issue, and these are difficult things for a lot of people. They have to make some big changes in their lives. And we have cravings and addiction for the sugar, for the wheat, for the starch. Yeah. Yeah it's not easy. It is not It's simple, but not
1: easy, right? Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So let's talk about sex drive a bit. I know that you are the naughty nutritionist and uh, you are, you don't shy away from some of the topics that make people feel embarrassed sometimes. So let's talk about sex. Let's talk about libido. Is it, is it true that soy can dampen sex drive? What do you, what do you
2: see with that? It sure can. And in uh, Asia, where they consume the most soy, it's in the monasteries. So in the Zen monasteries, it seems like the monks noticed that when um, the tofu consumption went up, the the naughty behavior went down. So. So that became a staple for the diet in the monasteries, hmm. and there are anecdotes about Japanese women feeding their straying husbands extra doses of soy so they lose the ability or, or the, the desire or both.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well... I guess you can uh, sprinkle a little bit in your husband's you know, smoothies if he's a little too randy for you, but it's probably probably about more about looking at getting your own libido going, right? Cutting out soy on your own. So, so let's, um, let's talk a little bit about maybe vegans or vegetarian men who, who decide to add in a lot of soy in their diet. So what is, what is this doing to their own hormones?
2: Well, uh, what they tell me, and they're often very angry, and I get a lot of very angry emails and angry comments on YouTube or wherever, <laughs> they claim that they're the healthiest they've ever been in their lives, that they're very randy, they've got very healthy libidos, or alternatively, they claim they no longer have an, a libido because they have become enlightened Oh, okay. Now, what I hear from their girlfriends is something, <laughs> something else. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it does affect their sex drive for sure. And, you know, maybe not immediately, but over, over time for sure.
1: And it's because it's affecting these estrogenic
2: compounds in the body, right? Yeah. And the guys need testosterone. And if you're estrogenizing a guy, it's, it's going to basically interfere with all the hormone balance they need.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And and obviously guys, it depends on how much is being consumed, you know, but if you're doing uh, soy protein in your smoothies and you're having, you know, tofu scramble and you're doing, you know, garden burger and the, uh you know, the, the, the faux turkey, right. <laughs> faux turkey at Thanksgiving. And just on and on and on. It's 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 about how much exposure you're having, obviously. So, um, so what's in your opinion, Doc? What what's a safe level of soy to consume? Maybe for men, women. What, what's that look like?
2: Well, if you're allergic, of course, none. And uh, soy is now one of the top eight allergies, and it's soon going to be in the top four. And the number of people suffering from soy allergies has gone way up since the GMO soy uh, got into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. But if you're allergic, you're allergic. And it doesn't matter if it's organic or commercial or GMO. You know, if you're going to eat soy, avoid the GMO for sure. But don't think organic is going to solve your problems because it won't. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of us, um, well, let's say somebody has a thyroid problem or they're suffering from infertility, and that's also epidemic today. So if some of those issues are, are something you're trying to heal, I would be very cautious about the soy, really, really cut back.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So for everybody else, um, I would say what I do pretty much, which is I do enjoy some miso soup, a little tofu once in a while, not worrying about it, say, at a vegetarian potluck. Um, I have not found a good source of natto, so that's not been an issue. have a little tempeh once in a while. As far as things like soy milk and all of that, I just think they taste vile. I just (laughs) can't imagine uh, eating them. Or I have sampled bars with soy at, say, Whole Foods and spat it out. I thought it tasted so bad. Yeah. So I think once you start eating real food, you know, with a lot of good fats and butter, uh, these soy substitutes just don't cut it.
1: Yeah. And it's about going down to what, do you have real food on your plate or is it something that's been processed as well? So that could look like soy, could look like, you know, grains. Um, You can pretty much process anything nowadays. So you don't see a soy, a soy tree, right? We got to look and seeing like, how is it originally coming to us onto our plate? And I'm I'm the same way. I'll have maybe some tempeh if I'm at a restaurant um, or some miso or some edamame, something like that. I love miso soup. It's super tasty. But but I do agree. And some of these bars, I, I had a patient even just last week come in and she had a raging thyroid problem, didn't know it. And she had a half-eaten bar in her bag. And she said, hey, will you just take a look at this label? We look at it, soy protein isolate. It was one of those um, think thin bars. And she had been eating that Every day for years, that was her favorite snack. So that's the first thing we're going to take her off of that, and and her thyroid may bounce back on on its own without having to put her on
2: medication. Wow, it's usually not that simple, but that's what you have to start with. You know, you got to cut those things out. And once you're eating real food, uh, I don't think those bars taste very good anymore. I agree. And, and your,
1: your taste buds do change as you start to put in more food, more real food in your diet. You start to get a a palate for something that's alive, that's bioavailable, that your body recognizes and can digest. And it's just, it's, it's food that is literally alive on your plate. So,
2: um. Yeah, we, you, would, you just mentioned that, you know, at a restaurant, say, having a little edamame. And if you do that, that's that's fine. It's going to be like six pods. If you enjoy it, If that should be fine. But where people get in trouble with edamame is they buy these great big bags of it, and they snack on it like popcorn. Right. And that is going to be trouble. Yes,
1: yes. So in terms of the, the the healthiest options of soy that we can have, we talked about miso. Um, What are some other good ones to have and then ones that you just recommend just just don't have at all?
2: Well with the miso, I normally make it with um, some dashi, you know with the bonito with the little fish in there And that would be actually the way it was traditionally and ideally done in Asia So, I've got the the miso, and that's normally not just soybeans, but mixed with something else, like like barley or rice or something. And we're only talking about a teaspoon of it. So, you know, contrast that with, say, eating a whole slab of tofu, for example. Right. So, a little of that good miso soup. Um, A little tofu, once in a while, I make it with something like shiitakes, and I do think that's delicious. And natto and tempeh, as much as you like, really. I mean, nobody's going to eat that excessively. Now, where I do want people to be cautious is amounts of tofu. Say, if you're eating the one-pound slab, that's going to get you in trouble, particularly if you have it often. And the same with soy milk. There are some brands that are without sugar, but uh, besides the soy issue, there's other additives. There's cheap vitamins added to it. Uh, There's a form of calcium that your body really can't use very well and multiple issues. So if you're taking soy to protect your bones and you cannot tolerate dairy, for example, and you've got uh, only so much kale with butter, say, that you want to eat, you know, get a high-quality supplement. Don't buy soy milk loaded up with cheap, cheap supplements that your body can't use. Just get a good bone-building supplement. Mm Mm-hmm yeah and the other worry soy shakes uh soy energy bars those would be the biggest things, anything fake, you know if it's soy bacon, I mean <laughs> I mean you ask the question, how do you turn a soybean into a pig, right? And the only way you can do that is with all sorts of chemicals and flavorings and additives and treatments, and it still doesn't taste like bacon. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> but in something like that, the soy might be the least of the problems. There's the MSG and Lord knows what else in there. <laughs> It's true.
1: And, and I know a lot of you guys listening, probably doing a lot of sushi. I love sushi too. So how about soy sauce? How much exposure, if we're doing a lot of sushi exposure, maybe we're getting, you know, wild salmon, we're not doing a ton of tuna. Um, Obviously that's going to be higher in mercury, but what about soy sauce?
2: Well, um, soy sauce, uh, if you're getting the unpasteurized raw uh, show you um, the traditional one, which you might have to bring from home, but that's a wonderful product, and I would not worry about that in the slightest, unless perhaps you're allergic to soy. Mm-hmm. But in terms of going out, um, I tend to be pretty free about eating in restaurants. You know, I relax there, and I pay attention to most of my meals, which I'm making myself at home. Yeah. So they don't have the ideal soy sauces at restaurants, but I would not worry about it.
1: Right, right. So this you know, is I, about regular exposure and then when you can go out, you can enjoy yourself with your friends and not not be overly crazy about about that.
2: Yeah, you know, most of the better Japanese restaurants now have a, a gluten free form of soy sauce and mm-hmm. my biggest concern with the sushi restaurants these days is is they're making all these things that are all gunked up with all sorts of sauces. Yeah. And they don't look too healthy for me. I I like it simple and plain and old-fashioned. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I usually get um, seaweed salad and and get, you know, maybe some, like, a salmon roll. or And then I don't feel bad. I'm the girl who I'll have my own sauce in my purse. I'd I'd have no shame about that. But most places (laughs) I go, they'll have a gluten-free soy
2: sauce, so it usually works out. Um, Yeah, and with a lot of it, I notice it doesn't even really need more. Uh, It's already got plenty of flavor yeah it's true it's very but, true you know, just a little light dipping i i don't think it's an issue but if people are allergic to soy or or uh they're on gluten-free diets that's something to be careful about and when you're ordering you'd be amazed at how many of the sushi rolls and things have some kind of gluten in there yeah right yep it's very true
1: well, I, I love this and I, I think that like I said, awareness is the first step of just knowing where all these little exposures are is, is something simple you're doing in your diet on a daily getting in the way of things. Is it increasing certain risks for you or maybe inhibiting your thyroid? So just knowing this stuff and looking at the labels. Generally speaking, if you're eating something that has a label and has a bunch of ingredients, it's probably processed. So try to eat more things that don't have labels. You, you know, use your kitchen more, cook more. And there's great options for meal delivery services now. If you don't have the time to go and shop, you can have the ingredients sent right to your door. Local company I love is called Savory Made Simple. I do that in San Diego. Um, but there's lots of different options. My mom mentioned, um, I think, Sun Basket. There's Green Something. There's, there's lots of different options now to have food sent to you. And so there's this whole wave of, real food that's happening. And I love it. It's people taking charge. It's, you know, increasing awareness and understanding what it is that you're eating. Um, But just take a look. If you're seeing that there's lots of of bits of soy in your diet, it might be causing some problems and getting in the way of, of you getting to those health goals. So I, I love this. So, so Dr. Daniel, any, I know that you've been talking about soy for a while. Are there any things you're excited about now? Any new areas you're working on?
2: Well, I do want to mention uh, that uh, homemade bone broth can be incredibly healing. So no matter what health problems you're trying to heal from, we always start with the gut. And healing the gut, bone broth, will do so many wonderful things. Yes, Absolutely, that is so positive. And when I was doing the research for the Nourishing Broth book, which has been a bestseller since it came out in 2015, discovered that it helps with digestive problems, autoimmune problems, um, infections uh, it, you know, the list goes on and on. It is so healing. It can even help us with cellulite. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. I love it. You mentioned that it's great for the skin. I have started doing a cup of bone broth every day and it's, I swear it is such a game changer for me. And especially in this awful cold winter, San Diego winter. Uh, no, it's, it's nice to just warm up and, and have that, little ritual in the morning of broth and if you don't like the taste of it you can make it into ice cubes you can throw it into different recipes you can put it in
2: smoothies and you don't even taste it so i love i love the broth it's huge i love it too and it's an original fast food really um yes it's going to cook for hours but you don't have to hover over the stove right yeah just leave
1: it let it do its thing love it so dr daniel any any parting words before
2: i let you go and Well, what I'm working on now is I'm doing some research on camel's milk, and I'm just very, very excited because it seems that it's not only a substitute, a healthy substitute for um, cow's milk or or goat's milk or other dairy that many people these days cannot tolerate, but that it can actually rehabilitate your immune system. Mm. Wow. to the point where you're not allergic to some of the things you once were allergic to. Amazing. That's what it's about. Like, How can we
1: alter and, and heal the immune system and not just take out more and more things out of our diet, right? Right. Yes. Building up this resilience to where our body can be strong against these different offenders. And, and especially as as our world becomes, and not to be a Debbie Downer, but increasingly more toxic, that's so important to continue to strengthen and and balance our immune systems. So I'd love to to be in the loop on more, you know, what's going to be uncovered about camel milk. (laughs) Yes, thank you. I love it. Well, Doc, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and spending some time with us and shedding some light on the topic of soy and the other things you're working on. I so appreciate it. And I'm just wishing you the best in your uh, endeavors moving forward. And um, so, so thanks again for being with us hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.
0: This is your wallet. I've got my hands full with your credit cards, ID, and that Froyo Loyalty Card. So I was thrilled to learn about the new digital wallet in the Giant Eagle app. It'll let you store, manage, and spend all your gift cards right from your phone. E-gift cards you buy from Giant Eagle and get-go will load automatically. And you can even transfer plastic gift cards there, too. Download the Giant Eagle app and start using the digital wallet today. Visit GiantEagle.com backslash wallet for details.